This is a CBC podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Welcome to the Dose. This week, we're asking, what do you need to know about rapid testing for COVID nineteen? Hi, Fatima. Welcome to the Dose. Hi, Brian. Thanks for having me. Are you uh, working these days? You, are you on the wards these days? I am. I'm busy. I'm on calls. I'm covering the pediatric ID ward here in Montreal. It's sort of viral surge season, so um, it's as busy as we've ever been. We should have had you on last week's show because we were talking about all those other viral diseases like RSV and, and influenza and, and parainfluenza that you get that aren't necessarily COVID. Oh, exactly. And actually right now on my ward, I have about six babies with RSV. So it is our number one uh, issue right now with kids is all of these other viruses. COVID is there, but it's not the number one thing driving up hospitalizations right now. Okay, uh, Fatima, before we start our conversation, why don't you say a hi, my name is? Tell us what you do and where you do it. My name is Fatima Kakar. I'm a pediatric infectious diseases specialist at St. Justine Hospital and associate professor of pediatrics at the University of Montreal. Okay, Fatima, for starters, let's talk about the difference between rapid tests and the ones that we call PCR tests. They work differently because they detect different markers of COVID-19, don't they? Exactly. And this is really important because um, up until now, PCR tests are what people have come to know. And these are um, really specific tests that look at viral RNA. So we go down to the molecular level. So sometimes they can take 24 hours, 48 hours. But we can even do these faster. So in some centers, we can get these tests in an hour, but they're not what we call the rapid test. So PCR is really looking at pieces of the virus, but at a very molecular level. So it's able to pick up even traces of the virus. Whereas these rapid antigen tests that we're talking about, now these can be done outside of a hospital or in a clinic. They sometimes can be done at home. They're very simple to administer. And what we're looking at here are pieces of viral protein so not the actual molecular level, but the protein that's made by the virus. And these look at whether or not this protein is present or absent, and you get an immediate result, just like a pregnancy band, a band that says if it's positive and a band that says if it's negative. Why are they so much more rapid than the PCR tests? Although I know that the PCR tests are, the turnaround is getting faster. Exactly. So a PCR test can actually be done in an hour. So we have the, the capacity. And what it does is that the, the viral DNA goes to this machine that amplifies, so that increases the amount of copies of that RNA. And so it has to go through my, multiple cycles of a threshold in order to get enough to detect the signal. And um, so the actual process can be pretty quick. But what happens is the delays in the processing. So by the time the sample goes from a patient's nose to the lab, to the lab that's actually able to do the PCR testing. They don't do it right away, so they usually batch them every eight hours or every 12 hours. And that's why there's delays of 24, 48 hours. But in an emergency, a PCR could be done very quickly, and we sometimes do that here in the hospital within an hour to get a result. Gotcha. Now, for those who have never taken a test, can you describe how a rapid test sample is collected and what happens next? Yeah, and it's great because it's um, in many places, people have actually bought these kits and they have them at home. In some countries, they're giving them out to people. So what it is, is you'll open it up and you'll have a test kit. And in this test kit, there's going to be a swab. So a normal swab that you would do just like with the PCR, but we don't suggest people go all the way down into the nasopharynx. So really just inside the nose, what we call an anterior swab and sometimes throat as well. 
And um, so it depends on the test kit. Some are for just nose, some are nose and throat. So you'll go, you'll swab, and then that little piece of the swab material is gonna go into a liquid vial that's already provided to you in this test kit. It gets put in there for about 15 minutes um, so that it's well saturated, and then it gets put onto a test strip. And so on that test strip, if there's any protein antigen, it will be there. And then that test strip is covered in these antibodies. So if there's enough protein to react with the antibodies, it's gonna make a colored band. So the whole process on average takes about 15 minutes. The instructions are generally pretty clear. It doesn't necessarily require a lab technician or somebody to do it. A person could really do it at home. So it, it really does sound exactly like a pregnancy test, except that the sample, of course, is for a pregnancy test is urine, whereas this is a swab up the nose. So what do we know about how accurate these rapid tests are? So this is the big issue with these tests is because they're not as accurate as the PCR. And so you can imagine the PCR is picking up um, molecular levels of this virus. So it's very, very sensitive and it's really our gold standard. So if we think there's an infection, PCR is really the best test. What this test does is it picks up proteins that are made by the virus. So for example, if you're in the early stages of infection, when you don't have a lot of virus being produced, you might not have a lot of that protein. So that test might be falsely negative. And that's the big worry. So the sensitivity, how good the test performs depends on whether you have symptoms or not. And so the test doesn't perform very well in people who are asymptomatic simply because they very much don't have a lot of virus. So it's likely the test could be false negative. Among asymptomatic people, the positivity rate ranges, depending on the test, anywhere from 35 to 50%, meaning 50% of the time you might miss the actual infection. But when people are symptomatic, so if they're being tested because they have any symptom of COVID, the test actually performs very well. And we're looking at about 80 to 90%, depending on the study and depending on the test kit. So if you have, for example, fever, you're living in a place where there's COVID and you have um, a rapid test, but 80 to 90% of the time, you will pick it up on these rapid assays. So let's take a step back. In what kinds of situations is rapid testing the most useful? So the first thing is among symptomatic people. And again, you know, if we had a perfect system where you could get a PCR test quickly and easily and, you know, readily disposable for everybody, we would be using PCRs, but that's not the case. And we're getting more and more situations where people are symptomatic. We want to test, but it's, it's a challenge to go get a test. And I use examples from my, my patient population all the time. Child's in school, comes down with a fever. And so automatically the child has to be excluded. Parents have to take them for testing, so it means a day or two off work, the time they get the results, and these can be really, really disruptive. And also for the school environment, you know, for the classmates of the child, people will want to know quickly whether that child has COVID so we can isolate their immediate contacts. So an ideal scenario would be if in that school, that day the child sitting in class and he has a fever, we could do a rapid antigen test, we would know right away. And um, that would help us mitigate infection control in the classroom, but also it saves that family, that time and the effort. And if that test is negative and the child's symptomatic, we know it performs fairly well, that child could stay in school. So for example, one of the strategies we would use is what we call a test and stay strategy. And um, especially at this time of year where children are getting sick from all kinds of viruses, um, it's gonna be pretty regular to have symptoms in these school environments. So the ability to right away differentiate between COVID and other viruses would be so helpful in this kind of environment. 
But I want to dwell on this for just a second. You know, the scenario that you're talking about, uh, your child has a fever, you or your child have a fever and symptoms like cough and a runny nose. The rapid COVID test is negative. I thought you were supposed to go home. So this is where it's a bit of a debate to see what do you do with that negative test, right? Up until now, we would have confirmed it. So if you think it's COVID, uh, for example, high yield symptoms such as cough or loss of sense of smell, or for example, you're a contact of a COVID case, then you would want the PCR before you're at, you, we confirm that you're negative. But the idea of putting these antigen tests into place is that if you, know, you have symptoms that are potentially less specific, so fever and a running nose, which could be any of the other viruses right now, if you test negative on that, you're about 80% sure that it is negative. That way that child could stay in school without necessarily having to exclude. What's challenging is trying to put into place all of these different policies for what to do. But we have tried to started to use these tests, for example, in Montreal to say, listen, if it sounds like it could be COVID, but the test is negative, we could potentially keep you in school um, because we're about 80 to 90 percent certain that it's not COVID. But it's, it's really a risk benefit. And so I use schools as an example where it's a fairly low risk environment because there is distancing people will be wearing masks. So the risk of transmission will be mitigated. But for example, in a hospital setting, um, if you're coming to emerge and you need to be admitted and you have fever and cough, we absolutely can't take that 10 or 20% chance that it's a false negative, just because the risk of exposure to the other patients in hospital is so severe. So it's really based on the, the setting that you think it, it's a low risk setting, but you wanna be able to keep people in that setting Having this um, allows you to keep people in the setting without having to forcibly exclude everybody all the time. There is, of course, a debate here, which I don't want to dwell on, that if a child has those other diseases, like like colds and flus, that that there is some virtue in isolating them so that they don't spread it to the other kids. I just I just uh, I yeah. just I just want to make that point clear. You're 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 focused on on COVID, and rightly so, because we're in the midst of the fourth wave of COVID. So since you've started to talk about it, I want you to say more about it. Four Montreal schools are piloting rapid tests and some parent groups are arranging for them as well. So walk me through when and how often they're supposed to be done. So the first thing is it shouldn't be done on just asymptomatic screening. And I think everybody is pretty much clear that, for example, we're not just going to go into schools and start screening all students all the time, regardless of symptoms, because in that case, we do run the risk of having false positives and the yield is not very good. But what we're looking at is to try and get this done in schools where we're concerned about potential outbreaks. So if there is a symptomatic child, that test can be done right then in that moment and we have a result so that we can know whether or not to exclude that child and also to immediately test that classroom and those close contacts of those child. So it's being piloted in areas here in Montreal where we're having lots of transmission simply to be able to get faster results. Because quite honestly, practically speaking, as soon as there's an exclusion, and I, I say this because my patients are getting very tired of going for tests every three weeks, every four weeks, and being off school during that period. And I, I do sense that there is some reluctance uh, to disclose symptoms and to be um, so vigilant about the symptoms simply because people are, are saying, you know what, it's, it's another cold, it's another cold, it's another cold. So if we were to have these tests easily available at schools in the community, where it's a quick, you go to the pharmacy, you go to the school, you go somewhere to get a quick and easy test, and it's less of a process than the current PCRs are, I think people will be more encouraged and people will be doing this more readily than what we have right now, which is people really wait till they're either forced to or they're severely symptomatic before they get their test done. 
Um, are you saying that rapid testing should be done in schools, as you've described, for symptomatic uh, kids uh, where there is a high suspicion of a local outbreak? I think it could be helpful in some settings. And again, if we had a perfect system where every school had immediate access to a PCR test that you know was quick and easy and parents could take it, PCRs will always trump rapid tests, that's for sure. But the challenges that we're not in that system and you know some of our Northern communities, some of our more distance communities, it can be a real challenge. So if our rapid tests are deployed strategically, I think it could definitely help these schools mitigate same thing for workplaces, same thing for really big congregate settings. In other countries where there's there's sort of more different kits available, people are using these rapid tests, for example, to screen all their guests at a wedding or large sporting events. And certain countries within Europe are using it for pre-travel, for pre-boarding. And so I think it could add an extra layer. It doesn't replace anything that we have right now. So it doesn't replace vaccination. It doesn't replace our gold standard. But it's that extra layer that if we had it more easily available, I think we would be able to find more cases and act upon them faster than we are right now. So we've been talking about schools. We've seen that some workplaces are using rapid testing as a condition of being permitted to report for work for those employees who won't or can't get vaccinated. I want to know what you think about that. I mean, I think it's. I think if you can't get vaccinated, for sure, uh, and if you won't as well, again, it, it depends on the risk of the environment. So, for example, uh, in our Quebec system right now, in our hospital system, if you're not vaccinated, you cannot be working in the health system because they've deemed that being a healthcare provider among immunocompromised and fragile patients, it's too much of a risk for them to have an unvaccinated person. So even if you were to test every three days or every five days, while the yield is good, we can't take that 10 or 20% chance that we would have a false negative and that that healthcare provider would uh, spread this to patients. In a lower risk environment, for example, in an office of healthy people where most people are vaccinated, then I think it could be up to the judgment of that workplace to say, listen, it's a low risk environment. We really need all these workers. They're not vaccinated, but we really need them. So having testing usually every three days is reasonable. But again, I I just don't want to discourage vaccination and to encourage rapid testing in its place because it really isn't, it's not one or the other. Rapid testing is an added measure to sort of enhance workplace safety, but it doesn't take the place of vaccination. So you've explained when and how rapid testing would be helpful. How accessible are rapid tests in Canada right now in general? So that is the challenge. I say this because I I talk to my colleagues from different countries and it is much more accessible elsewhere. So for example, in the US, you can go to any pharmacy and buy one right off the counter. In Europe as well, you can shop to a pharmacy and for 20 euros, get yourself a rapid test. Uh, In some places in England, for example, they're sending rapid tests home for parents who have school-aged children. So we have fewer rapid tests available. And uh, now I'm not clear as to exactly the supply chain and why we have uh, less available here. Part of it, I think, is just the number of tests that Health Canada has approved. So practically speaking, what this means is, for example, I can't at this point get easy access to a rapid test. They're talking about deploying it to, for example, clinics and other um, settings where we want to know right away whether or not there's COVID, it's being heavily regulated. So, you know, some schools are getting it, some workplaces are getting it. And I think at the federal level as well, they're coming up with systems to get them into workplaces. But practically speaking, it's not quite so simple for an individual to just go to a pharmacy and get a rapid test. That said, if you look online, there's tons of companies that, are, that will charge you for a rapid test. I think they're charging anywhere from about 40 to $75. A lot of these are pre-travel. 
But it's important that people realize that um, a rapid test is not accepted for the airlines right now, for Canada anyway, to board or upon arrival. You really need the PCR tests. But there are companies that are selling rapid tests and you can sign up and get one pretty much, I think, in every city in Canada. But they are expensive. And so for the average family with three or four kids, you know, getting these rapid tests at 40 to $70 every single time is prohibitive. So as you've already mentioned, we've been hearing uh, about other countries who do a lot more rapid testing. I know that's that's true about the UK and elsewhere in the European Union right now. Do we know what difference that ubiquitous, that widespread rapid testing is making in those countries? No, that, that's a great question, because I don't know if we have data to really show that rapid testing has made a difference in curtailing outbreaks more than, for example, our current system. This is all sort of our, our on-the-ground feeling, on-the-ground experience, but we don't have supporting data for this yet. And I think a lot of where we are right now with our COVID policies is we're waiting for data, and it's the right thing. That's how we approach science, and that's how we approach medical decision-making. So I think it's it's really a risk-benefit. We don't, we, we've made many... Um, Questionable calls, for example, with some of our COVID treatments in the absence of data or while waiting for data. But on the other hand, if we do have these tests available and they could be just an added layer, I think we should be trying to use them more than we probably are right now. You said uh, that that you're not aware of what the supply chain issues might be in this country. Do you have any sense of what holdups might exist in Canada on making rapid testing more widely available in this country? Is it culture? Is it is it politics? Uh, is it the fact that, that healthcare is provincial? There were certain kits that were early on approved by Health Canada, and those are kits that are used worldwide. So it's really a supply chain of getting them here. Another element is just we've been on the fence about how to use these tests. So we've been waiting for data. And so there's not been really clear national and provincial and sort of district level guidance as to what would be the best setting to use these rapid tests are and sort of people are making up uh, different policies depending on their region and for different environments. So we haven't had a clear approach to rapid testing implementation. There's a lot of discussion, but I think not having a huge variety of tests available and not having clear directives as to when and how these would be used best. I think that's been our biggest hindrance. I'm not so sure it's a reluctance of people. I think if people were offered the opportunity to just go get a rapid test uh, at little to no cost, I think they would take it. But my feeling is it's just just the availability, the fact that the supply hasn't really arrived here. We don't have them en masse and uh, we don't have them for mass distribution across retail outlets or even for free, for example, for people. And and just to be clear, just because some countries like the UK, for instance, are more proactive about widespread rapid testing doesn't mean that that's having an impact on reducing transmission in that country, but just simply because we don't have the evidence yet. Exactly. So it's really, we're, we're sort of operating in the dark. And, you know, it sounds like a great idea. Start of the school year, send home a child with a kit and this, this first symptom test it, but we don't know how it's actually performing. It's reasonable to wait for data, but I, I can imagine that if we had tons of rapid tests available and they were freely available, I think we would be using them more and uh, potentially acting upon them in case of positives. So finally then, what are you hoping to see in the coming months when it comes to rapid testing for COVID-19 in Canada? So I would love to see these tests much more rapidly available. So available and um, everywhere. I'd love to be able to go into a pharmacy and get a rapid COVID test or even buy one for home, you know, have uh, stocks of rapid kits available. And I think this would be so great for children and families and sort of the school environment so that we could know right away. Because my gut feeling is these next few weeks, we're going to continue to surge with all of these other viruses. 
And so telling COVID apart from everything else is going to become almost a weekly, a bi-weekly event. So I think just the ability to say, ah, oh, listen, I woke up with a sore throat. I'm not sure if it's my allergies or if it's COVID, but hey, Liz, I have a, I have a rapid test here at home. I will do it. I think that could really facilitate people getting tested. So I'd love to see these tests available at our pharmacies, in certain workplaces and schools so that, you know, at the first sight of symptom, it's easy. There's no stigma associated. We get results quickly. And so we would encourage people really to get tested at the, at the very beginning of their symptoms. Dr. Fatima Kakar, thank you so much for speaking with us. Thank you, Brian. Dr. Fatima Kakar is a pediatric infectious disease specialist and doctor at the Centre Hospitalier Universitaire Saint-Justine in Montreal. Here's a dose of smart advice. Unlike PCR, rapid testing can be done at home and gives results in about 15 minutes, but it's less accurate than PCR testing. Rapid tests are most useful when you're testing people who have COVID symptoms and when they live in a community that's having local outbreaks. In schools where kids ages 5 to 11 are as yet unvaccinated, rapid testing is very useful for children with fever because a negative test means the child can remain at school. That said, unvaccinated children with fever and COVID symptoms like cough and loss of smell or taste should get a PCR test to confirm they don't have COVID before being allowed to return to school. For adults who work, rapid testing provides an added layer of caution for those who cannot or who have chosen not to be vaccinated. However, it is not a substitute for being double vaccinated. If you have questions you'd like answered or topics you'd like to discuss, tweet me at NightShiftMD or at CBC Podcasts or at CBC White Coat using the hashtag TheDoseCBC. Our email address is thedose at cbc.ca. You can find The Dose wherever you get your podcasts. Please give us five stars so more people can find us. The Dose was produced this week by Rachel Sanders. Technical support was by Tim Lorimer. Our senior producer is Colleen Ross. The Dose wants you to be better informed about your health. If you're looking for medical advice, see your healthcare provider. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Until your next dose. For more CBC podcasts, go to cbc.ca/podcasts.